Lord, you have searched me and have known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before, and you have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For you form my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, O God, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious, anxious thoughts and see if there's any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Lord, we worship you, the everlasting God, the all-knowing God, the all-sufficient God, the God who is light and love, the God who knows the number of hairs on our head and you sent your son Jesus Christ as a demonstration of your love that love God each person that's here or watching you know everything about that person and yet you still love us you formed us Lord we love you God we praise you Lord we are in good hands in your hands, God. You're not only all-sufficient, Lord. You're all-powerful, Lord. Jesus says that, that, that we are in your hands, so to speak, and in the Father's hands, and no one can get past you or the Father, God. We are safe with you, Lord. We are secure with you, Lord. Let it be that we can rest in that, Lord. No wonder the psalmist says <clears throat> in Psalm 23 that he makes a, ta a table for me in the presence of my enemies. That even when my enemies are around, though, it, though I am with you, I am safe and secure. 
You're such a good God. And we love you and we praise you and we adore you and we worship you. You are worthy of all adoration and praise and we glorify you. And we ask, Lord, that you would fill our hearts with your Holy Spirit. Help us to understand the truths of your word and help us, Lord, to know your heart, to draw near to you, Lord, in worship, that we would worship you in spirit and truth, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Resurrection Church. Good to see everyone. Wonderful worship as usual, guys. Well, we are in a great time of the year in Arizona because it has not yet hit 100 degrees. Praise God. Has it? It has not. It's been in, in the 90s, but not not close. So we're, we're, we're good. So, wow. How many of you guys were blessed last week? At our, we had our Easter service last week, and such a we had a, and and of course we had the uh, the Passover seder uh, a few days before that. That was I'm still recovering from that seder. That was that was a lot of fun. It was a lot of hard work, but it was a lot of fun. My goodness, what a blessed time that was. Got to meet some new people and some new friends and new brothers and sisters in the Lord. Well, if you have your Bibles, we are going to try to finish. Well, actually, I don't think I'll get that far this week. We're actually in the home stretch of finishing the book of James. We only have like, I could do it all in one, but maybe two service sermons, and then we're done with James, and we'll go on from there. We like to keep, I like to study verse by verse through books of the Bible. That's how I was taught. That's how I'm comfortable with, and I, I believe in Jesus says, if you love me, feed my sheep. Okay, Lord, I'm going to feed your sheep. And the best way to feed, my, feed your sheep, teach me God's word. And so, uh, and every word, and by the way, when we're finished with one book of the Bible, we go to another book of the Bible. <laughs> so we will always be in the Bible. Um, we will always be in the Bible. And I'm a teacher at heart, so I love teaching. So we are at James chapter 5. Remember the book of James is written by Jesus' half-brother James who during his life didn't believe in his brother. I mean, grew up with the guy and didn't believe in him until after the resurrection, he appeared to his brother James, and James becomes a pillar in the church. Actually, it said, it said, my understanding is they called James camel knees because of how much time he spent in prayer. This is a praying man. I mean, your brother is Jesus, but you are now you recognize, it's like, well, I don't know how much of his prayer would be, forgive me, brother <laughs> lord jesus for not recognizing you but he was a praying man and he is going to be talking about prayer to sort of uh start finishing up his letter in james chapter 5 we're going to look at verse 13 <coughs> possibly to verse 18 is what, what my goal is today and we the last we were in james before um easter and then we also we were we were in palm sunday so we we talked about James talking about integrity, and today we're going to talk about this prayer of intercession. So James says in uh, chapter 5, verse 13, Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, 
and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. We're going to stop there. James is going to be heavily talking about prayer. It's interesting, he begins his letter addressing those who are going through trials. That's pretty much all of us go through trials, right, in life. But he encourages them, he says, um, Pray. Uh, when you're in trial, ask God for wisdom, right? And ask in faith. He starts his letter encouraging him to pray. And much of James's letter has been to encourage those who are suffering and going through trial as believers to have endurance, to have patience, right? It's a lot of uh, talk. In fact, if you go back to uh, chapter 5, uh, go back a few verses, um, uh, chapter uh, 5, verse 7, uh, James 5, 7. Therefore, be patient until the coming of the Lord. Uh, he talks about patience in verse 7, being patient like a farmer. Verse 8, you too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. And then he goes to verse 10, as an example, brethren, of suffering and patience. He's, he's talked a lot about suffering and patience endurance, a lot throughout this letter, right? But it would be amiss to, to so emphasize your patience and endurance and almost self-reliance if he didn't bring up prayer. Because at the end of the day, what really matters is trusting and leaning on God, right? Uh, if, if James didn't introduce prayer, it would sound almost like you're being self-sufficient. So James is really going to have you on the fact that we need to pray. Um, he says in verse 13, is anyone um, among you suffering? And everybody said, yes, <laughs> you know. Everyone says, amen. Who's not, right? Is anyone suffering? Um, the word suffering is to, it's kako uh, patheo. Sounds like pathetic, right? Uh, to suffer misfortune or hardship, basically. Uh, it means to suffer distress or, um, or uh, persecution or ill treatment by others or abuse or being in a bad situation or anything that would cause stress. Is anyone around you stressed? Who's not stressed, right? Um, James used that same word we just read in verse 10 of chapter 5 uh, as example, brethren, of suffering. Suffering, right there. That word suffering is the same word. Um, uh, who's, who's in a stressful situation? It's not, it's not just, uh, it's, it's anything that will cause you stress. Are you stressed? Are you facing anything stressed? And it could be a current thing or it could be something from the past that's still on your mind. How many of us are still living in the past? There's still the ripple effects of things that happened in the past we're still stressed out about, right? And our minds so occupied on that stress, right? And then James says, okay, here's the answer. He must pray. I mean, it's, what we're going to say is so simple. We're looking, sometimes we look for the secret code. <laughs> you know, no, it's really simple. Are you suffering? Are you stressed? Are you preoccupied? You must pray. It's actually an imperative. It's, he's got a couple of imperatives. He says, he says, 
you, you, you must pray. It's absolutely vital that you pray. And sometimes when we're stressed, when we're facing this, this sometimes prayer is the last thing we do. We're so preoccupied with the hurt. We're so preoccupied with the, the situation. That's all we think about. It occupies our time. And James says, no, 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 you must pray. Right? You must call out on God. You got to take it to God. You got to talk to God, right? If you're in a stressful, it's, it's, so, it's so simple. We, we kind of, I just, you know, I just got to say that because at the end of the day, it's really trust and obey, right? Because there's no other way. Be happy in Jesus. I hope I don't forget the words, <laughs> you know. James says, are you facing mistreatment, abuse, somebody's not treating you well, or you just have general sh- stress of the situation? In fact, the word uh, for, for that, that suffering is actually used by Paul in, in 2 Timothy, where, he, where he's talking about suffering hardship for the gospel. It's used in context of being, hey, you're under stress because you're a Christian. You're in stress because the world hates you. You're in stress because, and he tells Timothy, he suffered hardship with me even to imprisonment, which I suffered hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal. Uh, then he says, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of the evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. So as a Christian, there's hardship there. There's a pressure of to, to give into to the things of the world. There's pressure to try to, you know, not be faithful. And James says, if you're suffering, you must pray. Why? Why? Well, that's the obvious question. Why? Because you're taking it to God. Here's the thing. When you're stressed, what's on your mind? You're stressed. That's all you think about. And it's like those cartoons, you know, where the, 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 the mouse comes in front of the wall and the, the shadow is so huge and the mouse is really small, but all we see is the shadow. We're stressed. It's all we. It's all that's part of our mind. Where's God? James says, when you pray, you bring God to the picture. Now let's compare who's bigger. <laughs> is your stress bigger than your God? Yeah, but God, this is a, this is something I need to handle. You know, this is something I should be able to deal with. No, no, no. Let me just give you a clue about about Christian life and, and prayer. The goal is not to become independent of God. When we were kids and we were thinking about moving out, we come 18, we move out, independence, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on my own. Mom, Dad, how would I pay this bill? <laughs> you know? I mean, in life, it's good to get out of the house and become independent, but in the Christian life, you're never at a graduation point of becoming independent. God, I got it all. Thank you very much. I don't need you anymore. No, no. It's actually just the opposite. We ought to be praying more often as we go in faith. We ought to be recognized, Lord, praying about constantly. When he says that he must pray, it's the present tense imperative, which means he must constantly take it to God. Constantly praying. You must pray. You, you got to get yourself off. You got to get your eyes on God. But God's the situation. That's what James is telling you. Telling us. Take your problems to God. Talk to God. Take it to God. Because why? Because God's greater than this situation. And we're intelligent people. I'm, let's just, let's begin. But there's, some, there's a point where you have to entrust God with what you're facing. God doesn't mean that God may not take it. Maybe he'll, but he'll give you 
the endurance to for the strength to perhaps face endurance. Sometimes we all we all want to press the button, God, and remove it. Get me out of this channel, right? And sometimes God does, you know, so God says, I'll give you what you need to endure it to go through. I will carry you through this, but you must keep your eyes on me. You must pray and get me into the picture. You must bring it to me. So as Christians, we ought to be constantly praying. Constantly. Psalmist, the psalmist says, uh, God says in Psalmist, uh, Psalm 50, call upon me in the day of trouble, and I shall rescue you, and you will honor me. Psalm 91, it says, he will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. Why pray? pray prayer focuses our attention on God, and God is greater than any stress that we face. And God uses those stressful times. How many of you guys have been in a, I remember, I mean, all, all of us, but let's just say a, a, stre- a time in your life where something was on you heavy, heavily that you couldn't get out of, right? That you have, there was an escape route in the sense of change this channel, give me a, teleport me out, did nothing, and you were in it. And it was a matter of, Lord, I don't know if I can endure one more one more second. Lord, I need your help. I need you, I, you know. And it was this this reliance on God, and God allowed that trouble in your life to bring you to the point of brokenness where you recognize your need for Him. And it was like, Lord, I'm just going to trust you. I don't know how I'm going to get through this next day or this next minute. I need you, Lord. And you found sweet fellowship with the Lord in that time, didn't you? Amen. And so you look back and you say, I would never wish that time on anybody else, but I'm thankful for that time because it was a time where God used that. Because if I had not had that time, I wouldn't have drawn near to him and, and really drawn strength him. So thank God for the stresses, God. Why pray? Prayer focuses our attention on God. you don't pray what happens though is you start handling it yourself and you start become bitter resentful and all kinds of stuff happens but again says if you're suffering if you're facing hardship you must pray it's important you realize there things are happening in the spiritual realm um, that you can't see when you pray Sometimes those stressful things that God is allowing is are, are used by God to test your faith, but also sometimes the enemy wants to do a number and make you angry at God and resentful. And, and prayer, Lord, I don't understand. I need your help. James says, take it to God. God is greater. And he says, is anyone suffering among you? He must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. In fact, he says, if there's anyone cheerful, he must sing praises. Same, same idea. It's a present tense imperative, which means keep doing. If you're not praising, you're praying. If you're not praying, you're praising. Is this, that guy is always praising or praying all the time, right? You know, because there's constant communication between you and God. Now, sometimes, let me just, I'll explain the word cheerful in a second, but sometimes when things are going really well, we forget God, right? 
what's happened? 9-11 happened, everyone came to church. <laughs> Something bad's happening, people are coming to church. Things are going great. I don't need church anymore. That's like emergency room. No, it's actually not just a hospital emergency room. It's, it's your daily bread. You know? It's your family. It's your... It's your, it's your time, of, it's this, it's every, you know, it's like, and so sometimes in times of cheer, we forget, you know. Um, Paul says, Paul, James, who am I reading? I'm reading, and Paul's so dominant in the New Testament, so <laughs> James, James is like, hey, Paul, stay, stay away on, on my book. I got, I got one book, right? <laughs> you know, Sorry. But this word when he says, uh, is anyone cheerful? It actually is a word, it's uthimeo. Uh, U, means well or good. Like when you give a eulogy, you say, say in Lagos means word, good word, you say a good word about somebody. U, uh, well or good, and thumos, which means passion or strong feeling. And it connotes a state of emotions rather than an outward circumstance. It means to have a a buoyant or cheerful state of mind despite what's going on around you. So it's not devoid of having bad circumstances. James is like, wait, it's not just cheerful when things are going good, it's cheerful when things are going bad. In fact, um, in the book of Acts, it's used in Acts 27. Um, <coughs> um, and Paul is with, uh, he's, on a, he's on a boat, and they're, they're in a storm, and they're throwing things overboard, they're trying to, you know, drop anchor and all this kind of stuff, right? Figure out, and Paul says, like, it's going to be shipwrecked, guys, you know? Uh, but then he says, you guys need to eat, y'all need to, be, you know, and then he says in verse 22, he says, yet now, I urge you to keep up your courage. That's the word right there for, for, um, uh, for cheerfulness. I, keep up your courage, for there'll be no loss of life. So, and then he says in verse 25, therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God will turn out exactly as I told you that There'll be a shipwreck, but no one will be lost. But keep up your courage. The storm's still going on, but keep up your courage. The storm is raging really bad, but still be cheerful. See, that's the idea. See, praise God. How many guys can praise God when things are going really, really bad? We want to praise God when things are, when the storm's over, we're uh, safely on shore. Thank you, Lord. But how about when we're holding on for dear life and floating in the midst of the sea and the storm's going on? Can we say, praise you, God, for this? So whether the circumstances, good or bad, it's always bringing God into the picture, prayer or praise. People might look at us and say, you're all weird. <laughs> you know, y'all are, are thanking God for the storm. Amen, right? Because I serve the God of the storm, right? Who walks in the winds and the waves. I'm getting a little wet here. That's okay. You know, the water's a little cold, but that's okay. God's with me, right? I'm going to praise him. And now that the last thing the enemy wants you to do is praise God. He wants you to blame God. See, if God was good, he wouldn't let, let you in that storm. He wouldn't let you get wet. He wouldn't let you get through the circumstances. I'm, I'm like, well, God's doing something in my life because I'm going to praise him no matter what because he's going to keep me safe and bring me where he wants me. I'm going to go to the destination he has ordained for me to go. Nothing can stop me, you know, and I'm on the boat with Jesus, and he's sleeping, and I'm scared, but guess what? He's with me, and he will bring me across the shore to where I need to be. So guess what? I'm going to praise him anyway, right? Amen? James says, if you're going through a hard time, or if you're going through suffering, pray. And if you're going through a, a difficult time, you can still praise. Either way, you're still talking to God, bringing God into the picture, right? And human tendency is for us to go off on our own. 
to seclude, to hibernate, and to forget and say, hey, we have a, we have a God in the universe. We praise God in, sh- in cheerful times or uncheerful times. Praise acknowledges God's goodness. Praise acknowledges God's faithfulness. Praise ex- expresses gratitude toward God. Thank you, God, right? We need a little bit more thank yous in life, right? Thank you, God. And ex- praise ex- expresses trust in God as well. Amen? Again, James says he must pray he must sing praises. The words for sing there is the word solo. We, we get the word psalm from, right? Um, it means to, to sing loudly, praise the Lord. It's used in many of Paul's letters. He says, when you assemble, each one has a psalm or a song that you want to share to encourage people or a teaching. And, and then he says, hey, uh, be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual. There's this this attitude, this, this song comes out. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, Colossians 3.16, with all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody. Prayer and praise are so related because they both focus your attention on God, and that's the point, right? That's the point. Whatever you have to do to focus your attention on God, that's what James is saying. If you're suffering, you must praise. Anyone cheerful, let him sing praises. Let it be that my life is such that I'm either praying or singing, and praying or singing. And if I'm praying or singing, I'm actually then I'm in a good spot, right? But if I'm not, here's what happens: if I if I tend to focus so much on what I'm facing and I forget God, then then I start getting doubts. I start thinking. I start forgetting. And then the enemy is like, well, God's not worthy of praise because he's letting go through this. And all this kind of nonsense happens. That's what James says. You must pray. You must sing praises. So talk to God about these things is what James is saying. Now let's look at verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? And the first in verse 13 is when we're facing stuff, right? Talk to God, take it to God. Verse 14, when somebody else is facing things, right? So something's sick among you. Um, the word sick there, it means the person's so sick they can't even come to church. They can't even come to church. They have to, somebody has to come to them, right? If somebody's sick among you, then he has to call for the elders of the church. And they are to pray over him. And we repeat this word prayer one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Actually, technically nine, but eight times in English, nine in, in the Greek. Nine times. When he says uh, Elijah is what he prayed earnestly, it, it means he prayed praying. Nine times. You're facing stuff? Take it to God in prayer. Praise God in prayer, right? Is somebody suffering? Lift them up in prayer. Is anyone among you sick? The word sick there is, is um, it's astheno. Theno means to be weak or lacking strength, to be sick and, and weak. You know, the whole, just being, ugh, you know. 
And evidently the person is so sick that they're just bedridden and they're like, I can't lift. It's like when I had COVID, I was like, I couldn't move a, bo a bone, right? I hate that disease, COVID. <laughs> but anyway, someday um, there'll be no more disease, right? But it means to be, it can mean, and it can refer to uh, physical sicknesses. In the Gospels, uh, it says, Jesus says in Matthew 10, heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Um, Matthew 25, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. It's physical, right? Um, I was in prison you came to me. Um, um, when he came and he heard that his friend Lazarus was sick. Uh, sometimes they can refer to spiritual sickness, but when it does, there's always a qualifier, like, like weak in faith, you know, uh, weak in conscience is, you know, I think here, I think, because some commentators and some preachers will spiritualize everything, I think this is actual physical sickness. You know, I think it's actual, somebody's sick, they're not well. Um, and they're calling on others, hey, I need help. And sometimes the elders and the pastors are the last people that are called, right? We're always kept out, right? I have a prayer request, and I'm telling everybody else but my pastor. It's like, seems like this is the first people are calling. Why not take care of that first? But I'm not going to get into that, right? So he says, who is, is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray for him. Who are the elders? The elders are spiritual leaders in the church, right? Um, they, they, they help oversee spiritual matters in the church. In our church, I mean, I'm, I'm an elder as a pastor. Pastors are elders. We, um, we have a deacon, Daniel. We're, we, we haven't grown enough to, to have uh, in-house elders, we have, uh, in our board, we have guys who are in the ministry who help oversee with me the, the things. But as God leads people up, you know. And elders, if you look at the, the origination of elders, it was in the Old Testament when Moses is trying to deal with like a million Israelites. And his father-in-law says, hey, Mo, you're going to die of exhaustion. You need some help, right? So they appointed, you know, like 70 others. And they helped. He helped. It was a team effort. Like, hey, we're going to help you, Mo, because it's too much on one man. And elders are, are meant to sh help be all fellow shepherds, as, as, as Paul says. Uh, he says, you know, um, um, you know, they're the shepherd, they're spiritual. And so the idea is that these are spiritual men that are coming to, to minister, you know, uh, to, to the needs of the people. And that's a good thing, you know. So he says, call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, the oil, there's a, there's a debate on what the oil, the oil, of course, means uh, it's, it's, it, it's used in the Old Testament for, like, setting people apart for something, for consecration. And the idea, I think, here is that we're now we're consecrating this person and say, God, we're especially praying for this person. We're especially, and the oil kind of symbolizes, hey, marking out. This person is especially uh, being marked out for prayer. Some uh, interpret this to be a medicinal thing, but if the person's, I mean, oil can do so much to your skin, but you might have something else. So I don't think it's medicinal. And uh, I don't also don't think it's um, uh, sacramental. The Catholic Church uses this as, it's called the extreme unction, the sacrament of extreme unction, or they call it the last rites. And when the, when the priest comes, they interpret this to mean that, that, the, that the purpose is to sort of get this person's soul for death ready for death. That's what the Catholic Church teaches. Um, 
that it's going to remove any remnants of sin. So they come and they, so it's really serious for them that they, the oil and it's, but James is not using this for the person who's going to die. Because he says if that the, the oil, that the prayer often of faith will restore the sick and the Lord will raise them up. We'll get up, right? Um, so I, my understanding is that this is sort of consecrated prayer for this person that God's will would be done, that he would restore that person, you know. Um, so James is using this for healing, not necessarily to prepare somebody to die. There's still prayer though, right? In the first case, he was taking your, your needs to God in prayer. Now he's taking other people's needs to God in prayer. He says, Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15. Um, and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. Now, I just have to pause real here. Is I see in Scripture a pattern. Can I, can I tell you the pattern? Okay. <laughs> not from Arizona, you don't realize how vital <laughs> having water is. <laughs> and when you're speaking a lot. The pattern I see in Scripture is, you know, uh, Jesus, uh, he says, um, <coughs> there's a laying on, there's teaching, sharing the gospel and laying on the hands and casting on demons, right? There, there's a pattern. There's teaching, sh- or sharing the gospel, laying on the hands, cast out demons, heal the sick, basically. Uh, in, Ma- in Mark 6.56, he says, it says, whenever he entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces, imploring him that he may touch, they may touch the fringe of his coat. Uh, and so he cured people, laying out of hands. But then he sends the 12 and the 72 out, he says, preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leopards, cast out demons, right? For we freely receive, freely we give. That's Matthew 10, 7 and 8. And they went out and did that. And then the book of Acts, which is the beginning of the, uh, the Acts of the Church, they were doing the same thing. They're sharing the gospel, laying on hands, cast out demons, right? So, so there's this pattern. I think that's that's. I think it's meant to be in the church. I. Th- this is my opinion now. Can I share my opinion? I think, and this is, we heavily, at least our, my, my my background is we heavily emphasize the teaching of the gospel, sharing the gospel. Heavily, I stake my claim in that. But I think we avoid or neglect the laying out of hands of the prayer for the sick and the casting out demons. I'm not going really Pentecost on you. I'm just going to say, <laughs> I'm just saying, is I think it's, it's, there has to be a balance, right? As some churches and some groups are so heavily emphasized, everything is, everything is demonic, everything is a devil, right? And very little teaching, and so I think I was like, well, isn't there isn't there precedent? I'm just going to share. I'm definitely this is my opinion. Okay, this is my. Why not instruct people in the Word of God, which I am committed to, deeply. I'll spend three weeks in one verse if I have to. Right, I'll do that. But I can't neglect that there is a spiritual aspect to what's going on too, and sometimes prayer is what's needed. I'm not looking, though, to make a circus of act out of the church. 
I think God doesn't need to have all kinds of commotion for him to move. But I do know that God answers prayer. I was at, at years ago, I was at church we used to be at for many years, and I had a, a friend of ours, this was many years ago, a friend of ours who was, um, he had some stomach issues, like he was bleeding and all kinds of crazy stuff, you know? And we were after church, after our group, and he's like, can you pray with me? I just have this. And I remember we're in, we're outside in this area, outside the building of the church. And Lord, can you just touch my son? Can you heal him? Simple. No one saw it. No cameras, right? No, come on the stage and I'll show No, none of that. None of the circus act that you see on TV, right? Simple prayer. Then I forgot about it. Two weeks later, he calls me up. He goes, God, I stopped bleeding. God healed me. All right, praise the Lord. I didn't feel anything. Nothing. It was just a simple act of faith. But he asked me to do that. I'm like, you know, my prayer is that why not follow that pattern of Scripture of not just teaching people deeply, but also praying over people. And not making a big commotion, because many times when Jesus would heal, it was in secret, right? He'd heal somebody and say, "Now go, don't, don't go, 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 offer something, and you know, for Moses, you know, as Moses commanded you, but don't tell anybody." Of course, they didn't listen to him; they went and told people, right? They still praise God. I, I, I sort of want to, like, you know, personally, it's like, okay, Lord, let's see, let's, 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 in, out of faith. Because sometimes, as James is going to hint at here, sometimes sickness is caused because of something spiritual happening in a person's life. Now, we have a medical answer for everything, right? But James is going to hint here that sometimes, not all the time, sometimes there's a reason why this person's ill. Look at the, uh, uh, look verse, the, the look at, um, and by the way, I still believe that God heals, okay? <laughs> I, I, I I still believe that God heals. I still believe God, he's, he hasn't changed. So, uh, and you can, um, um, I still believe there's, uh, there's one uh, author, uh, Dr. Craig Keener, who did, a, uh, if you guys ever uh, read commentaries, he, uh, he was writing com- commentary on the book of Acts, which is like three volumes, like this thick. And he started an, ex- an appendix or excursus on miracles, and that turned into two volumes on miracles that happened not only in the first century, but even today. So all, all this stuff. God still heals. He still ministers, right? I, so I believe that. Anyway, so, we, so James says, And prayer offered in faith, verse 15, will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If, and if he's committed sins, they will be forgiven. Now, what does this mean, the, the prayer offered in faith? I think it's prayer offered with the expectation that God's going to do something. You know, I think it's prayer offered that says God will answer this. Um, we, we know that in chapter 1, verse 5, James says, But if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously without reproach. But he must ask in faith, as he says in verse 6, chapter 1, verse 6, without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed. For let that man not expect to receive anything, being double-minded. So I think when you pray, you have to expect that God's going to do something, Right? I also think, though, that also there's a recognition that God's sovereign. So now it's up to him, right? Uh, God, I ask you to do something with this. Ultimately, it's still up to him how he wants to handle it, right? 
Paul says, hey, I got the storm of the flesh thing, storm, storm in the flesh, because I saw heaven, and I, I, I could brag and boast and, and, and be prideful, and God sent this message of Satan to keep me humble, and I'm like, Lord, can you take this away? Because I prayed three times. God says, my grace is sufficient. I'm going to let you have it, you know? Sometimes that's the thing, but, but I think more than not, it's expect God to do something, and if he says, God, if God says, I have this in your life for a reason, then trust him for that, you know? I think sometimes we tend to lean so much on, well, God's so sovereign, he doesn't want to help me at all. We tend to lean so much that he won't do anything, rather than say, God, I'm just going to trust you. Amen? And lean more on the trust part, and if he happens, to, if he, he's, he says, no, I'm, I have this in your life for a reason, I'm doing something with this. I'm trust, trust him anymore. Now, does James mean that people aren't healed because they don't have enough faith? Some faith teachers will tell you that. I think that's nonsense. Because guess what? Whose faith is being prayed for right now? The person sick or the elders? The elders are praying. They're praying over this person who's sick, who's so sick they can't, I need help, right? Maybe they're subconscious. Who knows? Maybe they're in a calm. Who knows? But the elders who are supposed to be the spiritual leaders are praying in faith, Right? Prayer recognizes that God's will is supreme in this matter. Prayer asks with expectation, as Jesus says, ask me for anything according to my name and I will do it. So James says you go and they pray with expectation and trusting God to raise this person up. And this person may or may not be healed instantly, or maybe it takes some time, or maybe it has other reasons, but it's not because of lack of his faith. God is ultimately sovereign in the whole situation. So he says in verse 15, I need a bigger, I need a bigger font in my Bible. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. The word restore actually is the word sozo, which means say, to save. But it can be spiritual salvation and physical. Here it means physical. It's, it's used when the woman says, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I will get well. It's the same word, right? I will get healed. That's the same word. The prayer offered in faith will make the person well, and he will be raised up. That means he'll get up out of his bed. He'll take up his mat and walk home, right? So here, James is talking about the first part, and you say, take it to God when it's something you're facing. Here, it's take it to God when somebody else is. Which tells me that the church, we are meant to have some involvement in one another's lives, of lifting each other up in prayer, of, and of not being lone rangers in the body of Christ. Amen? We need each other. We need the encouragement and the prayers of one another. And each one of us is gifted in different ways. And all of it is necessary. And the prayer offered in verse 15 will, in faith, will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven. James here hints that perhaps there's sins that cause the sickness. Now, some people think that all of your b bad things happen because of your sin. 
Job's friends thought that way. Everything bad happened to you, Job, because you're because you sinned. Job wasn't sinful there. Uh, Jesus is asked by his disciples, "Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind?" God, Jesus says, "Neither. He has this for my for God to be glorified." But we do know that there are some cases where illness came about because of sin. Um, I think in Genesis 12 and 20, where like Abraham passes his wife off Sarah to Pharaoh, you know, that's my sister. And God sends plagues and, and stuff on Pharaoh's household. And, you know, and then when he's restored, the things left. That was because of that. Um, in First Corinthians, uh, First Corinthians 11, that talks about the Lord's Supper, that if you eat it sort of in a, in a um, well, but look, look there. First Corinthians 11, let's do that. We haven't turned off pages today, so let's do that, okay? That's the exercise there. Are you guys with me? All right, just making sure. 1 Corinthians 11, 27, uh, he's in the context of the Lord's Supper, and then he says in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the blood, the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in doing so he is to eat the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number and a, and a number sleep. That means they're dead. So there's some relationship between how they were taking the communion and their 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 well-being. So there's a hint that there's perhaps something that could cause some illness. Not all the time, but some. But then there's another example. Um, go to John chapter five. Go to John chapter five. And in verse, um, um, well, verse 14, Jesus had, found, had, had healed a man on the Sabbath, right? He was, he was paralyzed and everything. And it says in verse 14, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. There's a hint that there perhaps sin opens the door for something to happen to you. Now I just that, now we just enter the twilight zone of spirituality. It's, it's, it's like there is a connection between, uh, between spiritual things and physical things. Um, and there's other examples I can give as well, but that's just, those are just a couple. So James is saying, hey, when you pray, right, go back to James, when you pray, uh, and if he's committed sins, they'll be forgiven. And then that's where he says, therefore, confess your sins, verse 16, one to another. You guys with me? I think when you're being prayed for, when you're praying, I think the first question I'm going to ask is, do you have anything to confess to the Lord? Because what happens is if there's sin or stuff going on inside that you're holding on to, unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, it opens the door. Paul says, 
Don't give the devil a foothold in your unforgiveness. What good is it for God to heal you physically if there's still stuff going on inside your heart, right? So Paul, so James says, confess your sins one to another. If you have something, if you're being prayed for and you have something against somebody, it's like y'all need to go confess that and get that out. Confess that to uh, to bring out in the open. There's a a really close connection between your physical health and your spiritual health. We think it's separate. We think it's all you know. But there's a, um, okay, go, go to Psalms. You guys with me? Go to Psalms. I don't want to go long. I just, I'm just, this is, uh, Psalm, Psalm 32. We've got two Psalms to look at. They're, they're pretty much the same. But Psalm 32, I'll go there first. Look what happens here in Psalm 32. Psalm 32, um, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man who, to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, whose spirit is no deceit. Verse 3, when I kept silent about my sin, my body or my bones wasted away. It affected me physically, what was going on spiritually in my life. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained from me. Like I was drained. My life was being sucked out, so to speak. As with the fever of the heat of summer, then I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave my guilt. James, or James uh, David here talks about the physical effects of the spiritual sin of unforgiveness, right? And you can look at also at, uh, just write down Psalm 38, verses 3, three through 5 as well. Same idea. So when James says in verse 16, therefore confess your sins to another, it's part of the cleansing and healing process, right? So what does confess mean? Look at, look at verse 16. You guys, I, I know I keep asking if you're with me, but you are with me. Am I with me? God's with me, right? Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Confess, it means, the Greek word means to agree with. It actually means to, um, to, to think or say the same thing as. In other words, that you're finally confessing what you already know is going on, right? When you confess, you just know in your conscience. Or you're confessing, it means to also to see or s the same thing. It's almost like you're... It's almost like God is here, right? And he's looking at your life, and he's, he sees what he sees. And then you come along next to God, and you're like, oh, I, you're right, I see that too. And confession is to say in agreement with what God has already, that's what happens. And what happens is that now you're in agreement. Now you're putting into light. Now it's no more in the darkness for the enemy to do what he, has to do, what he wants to do with that. And now it's out in the light, and now it's like, now. I got your heart, I'll heal your body as well. You know, there's, 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 that's what happens. Now confess your sins one to another. Agree with God. Agree with what he, confess that. Admission of truth. Bring the truth, bring the light into the, into the sins. That, uh, and, and pray for another. There's a spiritual healing that's going on here, as well as a physical healing. Pray for one another that you may be healed. 
when you're facing problems, as James says, take it to God and pray in prayers. And when somebody else is facing problems, take them to God in prayer, right? But then if there's something else going on right here, you confess that and let him cleanse you from that, right? It tells me that the church, of course, we're not meant to be individual, me, myself, and I, Hi, I don't know you. I know your name. That's all you'll never know about me because I'm so private. So, you know, and, and hi, and, you know, we, it's like we never allow people in. This tells me as prayer is as part of the body of Christ is so vital. And if you're busy praying for somebody, you're not busy judging them. Amen? There's no time for judgment. There's just, hey, honey, you're, you're having a hard time. Let's pray. Oh, I know, that, I know what that feels like because I've been there too. Let's pray. When somebody brings your problem, complain or anything. If they start complaining, bring them to Jesus. If they start having a problem, bring them to Jesus. Always bring them to Jesus, right? Amen? Well, I have a confession to make. I didn't make it as far as I said I would, but I made it as far as I thought I would. So <laughs> We're going to look at next week, Lord willing. I want to look at next week, uh, verses 18, 17, 18, about Elijah, because there's some principles of prayer from Elijah's life. It's interesting that James uses Elijah and he uses a particular part of Elijah's life to talk about prayer and principles of prayer. So let's, let's stop here. And we'll do that, and then Lord willing, we'll, we'll hey, we're all set. You know, we'll two more weeks, and then we're done with James, and then we'll go on from there. So, Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we can take our problems to you in prayer, that we can praise you constantly, Lord. But also, thank you, Lord, that we can lift each other up in prayer, Lord. Whatever we're facing, Lord, let it be, let it be that we take it to you, Lord, whether in prayer or praise, Lord. Lord, help us to be people of prayer. Lord, you are our shepherd. We're just sheep. But you're a good shepherd. You're kind. You're generous. The psalmist says, you, you anoint my head with oil. There's, there's medicinal purposes with that. You, you tend to our wounds. And you're with us, Lord. Lord, raise us up as a church, Lord, to be a body that is a believing, prayerful, praising church, Lord. And we pray that you would do your work in our midst and that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't we stand up? Praise God. Isn't God good? Amen. Amen. I'm excited. All right. So sign up for Israel. Pray about it. Um, come to men's group on Saturday. Breakfast. Go to the ladies' group next week. And walk with the Lord. Encourage one another. Pray. Read your Bible. Let me bless you. Bless you, Father. I just thank you for um, everyone here. I just ask your blessing on each person. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May He cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may He lift up His countenance up upon you in Jesus' name. Everyone says, Amen. Amen. Take care.